G'day all, welcome back to part B of episode 22 with Tyler Lovell. If you're just joining us, head back to part A and have a listen. And for the rest of you, let's just get straight into it. Help side, part B, big T, let's go. We're going to go back to um, the, the difficulty that comes with um, playing as a goalkeeper, especially with other world-class goalkeepers in the same squad. We're going to Rio 2016 and one of your greatest assets, I think, and the, the lasting legacy you've left on the Kookaburras and the biggest impact you had was just being a great, great teammate. And um, everyone knows that in good teams, you need good teammates and you're a prime mm-hmm. example of that. But 2016, it was very, very close between you and... Um, Andrew Charter, I think, um, as to who was going to go. In the end, you were selected as the reserve. Um, talk to me a little bit about that experience and how can you stay, I mean, positive when, um, when yeah, you kind of got to wait four more years for another chance because the Olympics is what we, what we do it for, I guess. Yeah, well, really difficult, really, really difficult. Um, it's just this massive uh, uh, ride of emotion when you find out you're not, not selected. Um, you know, to Rio, almost couldn't believe it. I, was, I, I just, like you said, we just come back from the Champions Trophy. I played a fantastic tournament. You know, I was in the shootouts, which we won, you know. So to me, it didn't make sense and still doesn't make sense. Um, but, you know, for me, you, take, you play a team sport and as a goalkeeper, you sign up and you know that's the, the possibility. You, you might not make it. Um, so yeah, for me, it was like, well, what, what's next? What, what can I do for the team? You know, it's very hard. You know, it took me probably two or three weeks and even, <coughs> and probably a week before we got on the plane to really shift my, it was about a month from memory, um, from, from non-selection to, to flying out. So it, t- it took a while, but then when you're there, you're like, well, you've got a choice. You can either be a sad sack. And, and not contribute at all to the team or you can just get on with it. Enjoy the experience because you're at Olympics and try and do whatever you can do to help the team. So that was the sort of choice that I made. Yeah, it was, it's, it's tough. It's really, really tough. And I think what, what made Rio really tough was the team didn't perform well. So, you know, for me, I always wanted to be a goalkeeper uh, oh, sorry. If I missed out on a team, I wanted to miss out on a team that won a gold medal, not the team that came sixth and got knocked out in the quarterfinals. So that was the Kugwaras in, in 2016. And so that made it so much tougher. Um, and yeah, so um, I just, yeah, just wanted to enjoy the experience. And, you know, for me, maybe yeah, it's been drilled into me by a very good friend of mine that. You know, your personal brand is also is very important to yourself. So I never wanted to be that teammate that didn't do the right thing because that's not who I am. Didn't support the team or didn't do anything else or above that I, I could have done. So, yeah, I never, yeah. That's sort of my driving factors around the, the non-selection and how I handled that and what I did in those Olympic campaigns or Rio so with I mean you spoke about um, I mean being a good teammate as well is dealing with the adversity of letting a goal in or lacking confidence in a game and as you say fake it till you make it and make sure that you're still doing what you can for the best 
um, well, for the benefit of the team. But what do you think about, um, because, I mean, for people who don't know, we, we live and train together in, um, in Perth and the Kookaburras is like, it's a, it's a full-time team, you know? So even if we're not playing or training, like there's a lot that kind of goes into making the team um, a good team and you're someone who thinks about that a lot but um, when you think about good teams what what is a good team for you what makes one really good question really good question I think um, I think a good team is someone a team that's honest with each other a team that holds each other to account and a team that lives by their values so I, I think um, if you can get those sort of three, sort of things down pack, you can be very successful. Um, I think we did that reasonably well through periods of my career with the Kookaburras, not so well in other periods. Um, but yeah, it is challenging. It's very hard because everyone's training for the same goal of winning gold, but everyone's training to get in and playing to be selected you know, so it's very, very difficult. And being a goalkeeper, like we've touched on, there's only one goalkeeper that gets to go and play at the Olympics. So it's really tough. It's really tough. And I don't think that us in Australia have done it very well since I've been in the program. We don't necessarily work as well together um, as goalkeepers. And, you know, if I look at what it looks like at Belgium, for example, they look like they do it very well with their two goalkeepers. Um, so I think it needs to be definitely a bit of a culture shift within the goalkeepers. And it's, it's going to be a hard one because it is so competitive. Um, we've got, uh, you know, an opportunity for someone to come in and fill my position. And, and I hope that, you know, that that can start changing um, and start working a bit better because I mean, there needs to be competitive um, tension but I feel maybe because Andrew and I have been such world-class goalkeepers where maybe other nations or definitely other nations don't have two world-class goalkeepers. It's sort of created that. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fine line. Like how do you get multiple world-class goalkeepers without having any sort of tension that goes too far? Mm. And, you know, I think um, – I don't think any other – in my opinion, no other nation's in that position. So it's a bit of a tricky one. I mean, it's a good problem to have for a coach, but um, logistically it's it's difficult, as we've seen. Um, yeah, and I think you need, um, you need coaching to be very honest with you and um, you need to know where you stand and what's going on. And, you know, unfortunately for us, you know, leading into to Tokyo, um, we didn't have any games to play. So we played it four games. Andrew and I played two games against New Zealand. So yeah, made it um made that one tougher. Yeah, for sure. Well let's let's talk about Tokyo then. Um because same thing happened. Um you know five years later uh again just like it would have been um splitting hairs but again just um missed out on selection and slightly different circumstances as well being that in Tokyo um, the goalkeeper didn't actually stay with the team um, which presented a whole nother set of challenges um, can you talk about that experience 
Yeah. Well, unfortunately, so, you know, leading into, you know, pandemic hits, you know, for me, training's training, you know, I try and train at a certain level, but I manage, I'm an emotional goalkeeper. I play on emotion. And so when we play games, that's when I perform at my best. You know, I'm not always a good training goalkeeper. You know, I'm a reasonably pretty good, but, you know, I perform when it counts in the games. So to have no games was always going to be challenging for me. You know, we went to New Zealand. Um, I played exceptionally well in New Zealand um, in the two games. I only considered the one goal, which was a penalty stroke, um, and made some big saves when, when we needed it. So to come back to non-selection um, was really difficult. Um, I, I, once again, I felt it was unwarranted and unjustified. Um, yeah, really pissed off would be a fair, fair statement. Um, and, you know, I went into my non-selection meeting and didn't, I just said to the coaches, I said, look, there's no point you telling me why I'm not selected because we're going to spend 10 hours debating it and it's not going to change the situation. So, you know, for me at that point in time, the, the coaching staff wanted me to be away for six weeks with the team. So, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, we went to um, Darwin for a week and then to Tokyo for a week, two weeks tournament, and then um, hotel quarantining. Well, some had to do hotel quarantining on return to Australia. So six weeks, it was just over six weeks. And, you know, for me, you know, family, um, I've got a daughter who's everything to me. I couldn't be away for six weeks. Um, so I actually said to the coaching staff, said, look, I can't come away for six weeks. Um, don't actually consider me for that role because I'm not going for six weeks. Things changed. Um, they became a bit more flexible and um, came to the party, though, which was fantastic. Um, so I come to Darwin, come back to Perth for a week, and then I went over. Um, at that stage, I was, you know, COVID's a thing. Um, it's really hot. You know, I was really hopeful that I could play um, in, in Tokyo. Um, so I still had that, that sort of that hope. And in my back of my mind, I also told the coach in that selection that, you know, it wasn't likely I was going to continue. So I've gone away. This is my last trip with the boys. Um, potentially uh, or likely, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to do whatever I can. So, yeah, I arrived the night before, um, touch a taxi for two hours to this, this hotel I'm staying in. So the goalkeepers didn't get to stay in the, uh, the village. So we're, I went with the Hockey Roos goalkeeper and a chaperone. Um, in you know in a hotel and we um, they didn't serve meals so we had to Uber Eats every meal which was interesting but look we made it work and you know I knew what I signed up for I knew that was the situation um, and yeah I just made the most of it you know I was out there scouting for the boys um, just being a positive influence and I just really want to enjoy it and just be that that positive vibe around the boys because Olympics are tough like you know good whereas in Tokyo, I had a really good run. Um, we didn't necessarily go through the winning and losing through the round or at, at all until the final. So, you know, it was a bit easier. Um, you certainly went through those, through the game, throughout a game, but we always came out on top until the, the, the final match. So, yeah, that was, um, and um, I just wanted to enjoy and just, you know, if it's my last trip, it's my last trip, I'm going to have fun. 
we you you mentioned Ali, your daughter, um, and we're going to come back to her in a little bit because people always talk about how the outlook on life changes, especially as elite athletes when when the little one comes into the world. But I think the the thing that stands out to me there is like it is so disappointing missing out on um, such a big tournament, especially for the second time in very similar circumstances. Um, and I mean, what I'm hearing is that regardless of how you feel about it, the fact is, is that you're still such an unbelievable teammate while you're there and, and infectious. And, um, and that's kind of what it's about. And the team, what everyone knows who plays at, like in the Olympic games um, in team sport is that it's not just the 18 or the 16 who, who medal or who go, but it's the, it's really a combination of everyone involved. So, and that's, that's again, such a mm. um, and, yeah and for, and for me it's like well how can i have a positive impact on the game mm. well, how can i influence the game you know like i was screaming in the crowd and cheering the boys on and you know when i could see they were struggling just just trying to get up them and just get them up across the line type of thing so yeah for me it was yeah you know what else can i do you know how can i have an influence mm. without having an influence does that make mm. sense it makes sense and after um after tokyo you announced your retirement um you want to just talk a little bit about about that process and um, how it came to be? Yeah, so sort of the start of the year, I sort of went out with Joe. We went out for dinner and sort of had a chat about it. And you know, I said oh, I'm struggling with um, getting up in the morning and, and not so much going to training, but missing missing Ali. So for people that don't know, we you know um, started well when the Olympics sort of last three months we changed to sort of later in the day, which was which was great to train, but um, Generally, we train at sort of 6, 6.30 in the morning. So I'm out of the house at sort of 5.30. Um, Mondays, so Monday morning training, um, gym in the afternoon. So I get home at sort of 7, 7.30. Uh, if Ali wasn't asleep, she'd be very close to sleep. Tuesday morning, we'd train um, in the morning again. So I'd be gone before she wakes up. So it wouldn't be till Tuesday afternoon, I'd, I'd see her. So I started missing Ali a lot through those sort of day and a half. Um, so for me, that was sort of the indicator that, you know, I don't want to keep doing this. Um, and yeah, like I always love training and, and I think I still do, <laughs> but um, yeah, just, just when I started missing her um, and I, I wanted to be around her and, you know, a lot of people, everyone says they grow up so quick and I wish I had been around more. I wish I had done this more. Mm -hmm. and, and for me, you know, I don't want to be that, sort of person that, that wishes they were around more or yeah sure it would be fantastic to keep touring with the boys and, and doing that and playing for Australia but I think at what cost you know I, I love being around her um, and Josie for that matter but you know Ellie's um, just amazing she's such a bright infectious kid um, and yeah I miss, miss not being around so for me that was sort of the telling sign and you know I, I was very happy um, with my career and although I hadn't played at the Olympics and, and won a gold medal that I'd set out to do um, you know I won a gold medal in, um, in the World Cup of bronze you know a lot of champion trophies um, Commonwealth Games gold Tom games you know so I've, I've been very very lucky over my time and you know I've probably probably been on 200 games lists um, although only played in 147, you know, I probably sat in, sat on the bench on more than 50 occasions and didn't get on the ground. So, yeah, I've, I've been very lucky and, and, you know, I'm happy with my career and, um, and, and what I've achieved and, 
Yeah, so, yeah, I think um, at the moment I'm, I'm pretty content with, with where it's at. And, you know, dad life's amazing. Uh, I love it. So, yeah, I don't feel like I'm missing out of awesome. anything at the moment until you guys start playing. <laughs> yeah. Um, Moving on then to to um, where you are now, um, I think 2019 or maybe 2020, you accepted a job with Hockey Australia as a commercial partnerships manager. Um, you're a passionate guy. You're passionate about hockey and you're very passionate about the Cookwares. Um, and I guess you're the perfect man for the job. Um, you get to sit up there, watch it well now, watch us train, um, criticise us when we come off, sledge us, do whatever. Um, but I'm also... <laughs> um, chair group, but also um, promote the game in in the manner that you can do best at the moment talk to me a little bit about about that role and what drew you to it and also um, where you see your future in in hockey so for me so i'd always worked in sales sales manager sales and marketing sort of role so i understood you know selling um and i was always as everyone is in the sport there are when you're in the team, you're always a critic, you know, like, why don't we have more sponsors? You know, what's going on? This is, this is rubbish. We should have more funding. So the opportunity came up. So um, the, the person before me left um, and, and the role came up and I thought, well, you know, I'm always one that likes to walk the walk, walk the talk, sorry. So, all right, here's the opportunity. Put your hand up. Um, Let's give it a go. Never been done before with an hockey Australia. So it was a big risk with hockey Australia to, to sort of take that. But, you know, from them, I understood the game. I understood the product, which is, you know, hockey. Um, I understood the brand. So it was it was still a big risk for them. Um, because, and, and I'll just great. jump in here, because you were still playing for the Kookaburras yeah. and also the commercial manager. So you would literally be at hockey from, what, six o'clock in the morning through till knockoff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, for, for me, it was that opportunity to really stand up and say, all right, well, you know, I don't think it's been done well enough. You know, let me get a deep dive into it and really understand the business and understand what the opportunity is and understand the limitations. Um, in Australia, it's what I've found it's so hard to come up against uh, Australian football, which is on TV, it's 22 rounds plus final. So, you know, so. 26 weeks of the year or 28 weeks of the year. It's broadcast to everyone around Australia. You got cricket, you got these big sports which are on TV all the time. So I'll paint a picture for you. So I'll start in 2020. Uh, there's massive bushfires around Australia. So anyone with any spare money businesses is going to bushfire relief funds. Um, then in March, bang, pandemic hits. So I've literally had 18 months with Hockey Australia. And we've basically had a pandemic. So, you know, if people, anyone with any money is basically keeping it very close to themselves. Um, we're really lucky. We've got a couple of uh, big major uh, resources. Mining uh, in Australia is huge. So, you know, a couple of big resourcing um, businesses that have supported us and then sort of continuing to support us. Um, but people are now starting to um, have interest around um, sponsoring national teams again. Um, you know, also, you know, so I look after everything from the high performance down to grassroots and all the national programs, um, sorry, national championships. We've had no national championships since um, basically the pandemic started. We had 18s and 15s. So all those sort of products are gone. You can't sell those. It's, um, it's bloody challenging. Um, 
hockey roos and kookaburras are pulled out of pro league. So when's our next international game? Um, so, you know, for, for sponsors, it's, it's, you know, they look at their return on investment. And, you know, for me, where I've sort of gravitated to is, okay, what are the opportunities around our, our programs that we run remotely um, with our Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander, Islander peoples? So that's a massive opportunity now. So sort of diversifying um, our asset portfolio. You know, as a business, we're doing a lot of different things to sort of be market leaders in, in our sport and in, in Australia, you know, online stuff, which can't go into much detail, but watch this space. Um, it's really exciting stuff, um, which we, we hope to roll out sort of start next year, which hopefully will, you know, will bring the bring the game of hockey um, to the forefront of people and become sort of a household sport. Like that's, that's my end game is I want hockey to be a household sport in Australia. You know, it's, it's very much a family sport. You know, your, your nan played, your mum played, you played type of thing. That, that's how it goes. And it's, um, yeah, and it's, it's our only true equal gender sport in Australia. So it's got so much going for it um, at the moment and for many years in the past. And we're very successful. The Cougars particularly over the last 20 years and the hockey rooms previously to that have been very successful. So as a national sport, it you know should advertise to so many people. It's just uh, getting that cut through, and I think as soon as we start playing a few more games, uh, I reckon we can get a bit more traction in. But um, yeah, look, look, I enjoy it. I you know I've got into do a lot of different things. You know, it's just not sales. You know, I'm doing a lot of media stuff. You know, a lot of production with all our ads that we're doing. So it's it's um yeah, it's really exciting. <laughs> There's no other man I would like to be ahead of selling hockey in Australia. So indeed watch this space look we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up there before we do we have some quick questions i don't know if you've ever listened to my podcast probably not unless it was to use it to mock me well not since the first eight (laughs) first question is who's the best player you've ever played against um ever against well i reckon um florian fuchs i think just what he could do um as a, as a, you know, attacking midfielder striker was just amazing. Like he was, yeah, he was unbelievable. And every time he got sort of got the ball, I felt like something could happen. Um, so yeah, for me, yeah, I reckon him. And, uh, and for strikers out there who like being pesky to, to goalkeepers, anything specific that he did was really frustrating. Uh, I think he's just ability to score and shoot. Like he was just such a good shooter. Um, yeah, he was just, you always knew it was coming at you. And a bit like Jamie Dwyer, like when he shot the ball, it was always at the net um, and hit the ball hard. So it's probably that. I mean, the other the other pesky striker um, would be Mandeep from, from India. He just has a unique way of shooting. He's always in there throwing his stick in from nowhere, getting a little deflection. So he was really quite tricky about that. So, yeah, he, he had a different style. Um it was very, very difficult to deal with. Mm. Actually, what about drag flicker? Because that's also a, a, a part of the game that um, is very one-on-one, is goalkeeper versus drag flicker. Um, yeah. Who, who did you most look forward to coming up against? Um, probably Mick. He was uh, Mick Van very Vierden crafty. From yeah. The Netherlands. Yep. I always, yeah, I always like coming up against him. I mean, um, Gonzo flicked the ball very hard. Gonzo, Gonzalo no Payat from Argentina. That's the guy. Um, 
he also flicked the ball very hard. But I think um, you know, you know, Mink was his craft is is exceptional, and I think uh, his deception was very good. So I always, you know, going back to you know wanting to compete against the best, I always wanted him to flick at me because I always thought he was one of the more craftier. Um, and he, you know he's fairly quick as well, so you know he was he was always challenging. Mm. Best player you've ever played with? Best player? Um, yes, I've played with some really good players. I mean, I think you know the the, the easy ones probably sort of Jamie, but um, Liam DeYoung was unbelievable the way he played uh, the game. So yeah, I reckon I reckon DY is and Fergus probably, you know. Uh, actually I'm gonna go with Fergus. It's, it's very hard. He's yeah, he's from he's WA. one of the most he's a WA boy. Um, but he is yeah, the way he went about it was he made it look so simple, but he he never he actually made one mistake, actually. I remember this hockey in the league. Um it was against uh, Punjab. And the ball got overheaded and he just missed it. Just clearly missed it. And this was a foot race with him and Sunil. So I met him at the top of the circle and um, I stopped Sunil and kicked it to, to Fergus. But because he was running so fast, he ended up hitting it back towards the goal. <laughs> Sorry, kicked it back towards the goal. Um, and then we stopped it. So I gave away a corner. <laughs> That's the one time I've seen him miss a trap. But other than that, just, uh, just an awesome just a Solid, just... He hardly ever got beaten. Um, he was just just a, his basic skills, and you know he was always reliable. You know he always had, always knew Fergus was going to do his job and have you back. I've got two more questions, and I think we deserve them because you did just announce your retirement. Usually, there's only one more, but we're going with two. First one is you're excellent in pressure moments. How do you best deal with pressure? I reckon it just comes back to wanting to perform when the best is performing against you. Like it's almost a, I wouldn't say arrogance, but a hint of confidence. You've got to be confident. Like, you know, uh, in those times, A, the team needs you because the opposition are coming to your heart. So the opposition on on top, generally that's when I um, had to step up in those final sort of minutes of games. So, yeah, knowing that the team needed me to perform, sort of I drew inspiration from that. Um, and just, yeah, bring it on type of thing. I always wanted to play against the best. And if the best is coming to me at that any one time, bring it on. Nice challenge mindset. Okay, yeah. final question. And you can answer this in two ways if you wish. The first one, well, what are you going to miss most about international hockey? But I'll also frame it. What's your favourite memory? of international hockey and you can go either way yeah um oh i reckon just miss miss the most just being on tour with the lads um sure i'm gonna miss competing um as well so that's that's gonna be one just just missing the competitiveness of, of playing international hockey and, and challenging yourself but the just on tour you know going for coffees with the boys going for lunch or whatever just yeah, touring around the world, um, doing it with yeah, what you end up being your family, right? So that's that's probably what I'm going to miss the most. Mm. I actually have a very very fond memory of 
And this is kind of what happens, especially when the goalkeepers are more senior, a little insight into, um, into the, the nature of international teams. The strikers usually who come in are quite young. So often you come in as a young striker, you might find your position in defender or midfield or whatever. But the goalkeepers obviously therefore have the most to do with these young strikers who haven't necessarily learned the art of being considerate in the circle, especially after a drill is done. And one of my favourite memories, actually, is when Tim Brand, who's always shooting at the goalkeeper, regardless of whether they're looking or not. Looking or not, yeah. <laughs> was just playing with the ball about a metre away from you and you're just standing in front of him, minding your own business because it was, uh, I don't know, we were doing corners or something and Brandy's in a, in a world of his own. And you're kind of looking at him because you know he's going to do something stupid, but you're hoping it's not going to happen. And sure enough, he scoops the ball up from about yeah half a meter away from you directly into your cage <laughs> yeah everyone saw it do you remember that yeah i just shook my head didn't i <laughs> i thought you were going to give him a spray which you're not you're not um averse to doing like there have been some sprays yeah. at, at times but that one was just so funny because you could just see it happening in front yeah. of Would you remember Oh, you might not have been in um, in Darwin in 2017 when Kieran um, Arunasalam did that same thing. Just <laughs> we're doing shooting drill and the ball is thing, and he just half volleyed a smack in the head. <laughs> it's good Strikers. stuff. Yeah. So we'll add yeah. that to the list. Then you'll miss you'll miss yeah. the young strikers, young enthusiastic strikers as well. Anyway, yeah, trying to score, mate. Fantastic to catch up with you. All the best with your retirement. Thanks so much for, for jumping on and, and chatting to us. And um, I'll speak to you soon. No worries. It's been a well worth 18 months wait. <laughs> Thanks, mate. That's it for another episode of The Help Side. Special thanks to my production team of David Moore and Tim Collier, plus countless others working behind the scenes to get this to you. You're the real MVPs. Again, if you're liking the show, please like, subscribe, you know the drill, and get in touch with us via our socials. We would love to hear from you. Anyway, that's all, folks. See you next week.